Welcome to the Aerospace Executive Podcast, featuring in-depth conversations with executives, leaders, influencers, and journalists in this dynamic, high-stakes industry. Hosted by Craig Pickett, founder of Northstar Group, the boutique executive search firm for the aerospace industry. You'll learn how top aerospace executives are developing their people, competing for talent, overcoming challenges, and adjusting to industry trends to drive growth and profits. And now, let's join your host, Greg Pickett. So you started Pinnacle Solutions, what, you said 11 years ago, 2000, 2008? February 2008. How did that, uh, how did that idea come, uh, come your so way? It's interesting, uh, you know, if, if you look at timing-wise, it was not good timing by most people's uh, assessment. But for me personally, it was perfect. It, it, it was the culmination of two things. One, I felt like I had gotten experience from a really good set of uh, prior uh, positions. I was you know, obviously a user in the military, and then I got into the acquisition side on the military. Not, not deep, you know, not in a program office, but in that unit I was in, we, we were able to perform some of those functions on a small scale, which actually made it better because it speeded things up. So, you know, it, it, the, the nice thing was it wasn't a immediate transition from cockpit to business. We were able to learn a lot of the, the aspects of government contracting while still on active duty and still serving the unit. So it was a, just a great transition. And then once I got out, I, I worked for a small business for a while. I worked for a large business for a while. I was in BD. I was a programs manager. I was a, a site ops manager. Uh, so I got to see all sides of it from that perspective, and it, I felt like it really set me up well to be able to to get things going on my own. You know, I think a lot of people come out of uh, experience that is limited, and and they see opportunity, and there is opportunity there, and and some people can be successful, but there's an awful lot you don't know if you don't have a broad set of experience in. I think it helped me a lot to have all of those uh, experiences combined to, to help me understand how to put something together that, that could be successful. And so you, you, what was your goal when you started Pinnacle? The goal was to bring the small business that I had worked for back to life. It was acquired, and, and I say that you know, hypothetically. I, we weren't really trying to bring that company back to life, but bring that the culture and the feel and the success and, and the uh, intimacy and all of that stuff that was part of that environment in that small business that was a perfect fit for me. You know, we're all different. We all come from different backgrounds and some people thrive in a large business environment. I don't. It's just not the environment that I grew up in. You know, I, I grew up in the special operations world and that is not a large business environment. It's a very uh, uh, small business-like culture where you have a lot of responsibilities and you have a lot of authority and you can act and, and you know, you still have processes you have to follow, but they're streamlined and it, and it, it takes, you know, a lot of time and experience to, to build a, a skill set where you can handle those situations. But it's a, once you're there, it's awesome and you never want to go back. So ending up in a large business was going back for me and I, I didn't like it. So 
I wanted to create that small business environment again. And, uh, you know, in, in short, we were saying uh, in the first few days, you know, we're bringing the band back together. We're trying to we're trying to get this thing back to where it was fun to come to work. Yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting. I talked to people about that. I was just out in uh, San Diego speaking at a, a conference out there. And one of the primary points I wanted to talk about was culture and understand who you are as a person. Um, and what kind of company is going to work for you? You know, people who grew up in large companies that are matrixed, where decision-making is slow, don't necessarily do well in smaller companies where, you know, they may be taking out the trash too, and vice versa. You know, people who are highly caffeinated are used to short decision-making timeframes, you know, aren't going to necessarily do well at a big, a big defense house or Airbus, you know, an Airbus, a Boeing, a, a Lockheed Martin, et cetera. I mean, not that they're bad companies or whatever. In fact, just the opposite. But the culture, the cultures are totally different. Right. And it, it's, it's all about what's right for you. And, and it just wasn't right for me. And, and this is, you know, I, I you know, I, I don't, I'm not going to lie to you and tell you, I think every person in the company looks forward to coming to work every day, but I think we've done a, a really good job creating a culture where we're doing everything we can to make this fun and to make it rewarding and make people, you know, want to be here. So how do you do that? I mean, when you talk about creating a culture that's fun, rewarding, and making people want to be there, um, you know, that's, that's easier said than done. What's, you know, what's, what's driving Pinnacle every day to create a neat culture? Okay. Well, first I said, I'm not, I'm not going to tell you that everyone here feels that way. I'm just telling you that's what we're trying to do. Um, But you know, when I, when I started this, I looked back at, at the 160th special operations unit that I was in for 13 years before I retired. And, you know, in terms of organizational effectiveness and commitment to the mission and, understanding, you know, what, why we existed. I can't find a better example than that unit. And I'm sure it's true for other units within Special Operations Command, but it's certainly uh, a a very, very uh, special place to be. And, and, you know, maybe it was that point in time. I, I can't tell you with any certainty that it's still that way today, but all I can tell you is when I was there, it was it was awesome. I mean, we we worked hard, we played hard, we understood the mission, we uh, we totally committed to it, and it, it was everything I dreamt it would be when I first heard about that that unit. So what I tried to do is figure out what what is it that creates that and then apply it here. And in some ways you can, in some ways you can't, but I think a, a lot of it we've been able to, and, and it starts first of all with people. I mean, you have to hire and you have to retain the right people. If, if, if you... If you hire the wrong person, you got to get rid of them quick. And, you know, that may sound harsh, but, you know, the wrong person, which may not be a bad person, it's just the wrong person is is, going to go contrary to the culture, thought process, may not, you know, get along with everybody else, understand, you know, how things operate here. And they just have to go find something else to do. You know, it doesn't need to be ugly or, you know, we always try to say goodbye to people on good terms. And we've had several come back because they realize, you know what, I had a really good thing going and, uh, and I want it back and they come back. So people, people are number one. Second is leadership and, and communication. I, I think, you know, it, it's got to be authentic. It has to be engaging. You know, I, I feel like I am in the trenches with everybody else. I mean, I make coffee. You know, we're, gonna, we're about to have 600 people in the company, and I'll, I'll make coffee. If there's no coffee made, I'll make it. And that's the whole 
mentality we're trying to get across the board is that, you know, we can't just worry about what's in our very narrow lane. We have to worry about what's in the best interest of the organization and help out wherever we can. You know, one thing we've done to help create that engagement is, is we are now partially employee owned. And when I was thinking about long term, what is my ultimate exit strategy? Nothing seemed to make sense until I found about, out about ESOPs. And ESOPs are a, a great way to solve that dilemma. Certainly for me, it's the perfect solution because it, it in the end, uh, you know, I benefit, but so do the employees, and, and they end up owning the company over time at, at no cost to them, and they don't lose any other benefits to go along with it. And what creates the engagement is that financial performance of the company directly affects their retirement savings, because really ESOP, if you stay for the long haul, it, it is a retirement savings plan. Right. So they, you know, they can recognize that, hey, you know, if I save the company a little money here, or I deliver early here, or, you know, we exceed customer expectations there, in the end, that's going to circle back around, improve uh, financial performance of the organization, and then, you know, that trickles down to me in the long run. So, you know, those things, uh, there's, there's other things, but those two are probably the two most important. There you go. So, you know, you mentioned the 160th, um, you know, special operations in the military is getting a lot of, a lot of focus, you know, the Navy SEALs, Delta Force, um, you know, the, uh, the 160th obviously is the special operations wing of uh, Army Aviation. Tell me about, you know, when you go to the 160th, what are they looking for? How are they hiring? And how are they, you know, how are they distinguishing the right person from the wrong person? And how can companies do the same thing? So the advantage the military has is is they have uh, much more uh, time and they have a lot more resources at their disposal. And, and I talked about this before in a couple of presentations I've done. If you think I look, you know, I sat and I looked back at my career. What what did it take for me to get to the point where I stepped in the cockpit and I was an asset for that unit? How, how much training was involved to get me to that point? I mean, it's years. I mean, it's, it's literally years. And you know, in industry, we can't do that. I mean, we have to, we have to hire someone who's who's going to get into the position fairly quickly. I mean, we can't say, you know, well, I'm going to make an investment today, and you know, they'll be able to do their job in in five years. I mean, that economically can't be done. So that is an advantage that, that the military has. But you know, what what is done, which should be done in in industry as well, is first of all, you gotta you gotta find people that meet the requirement. You know, and and you know, that's just sheer numbers. You know, I'll give you an example. Uh, the unit's looking for, at least at the time that I was there, 1,000 hours of flight time. Um, I think it was 250 hours night vision goggles. You've been a pilot in command. You're qualified in the aircraft. you got good performance reviews. Your physical fitness level is, you know, at, at, at X level. No health issues. No disciplinary action. So, you know, that that's the first screening process. And you got to go through that same process in, in a higher in industry. You know, I mean, you got to have, if it's an engineer, they got to obviously have a degree in engineering. You want to see good experience in, in the type of work you're doing. You want to see, uh, you know, I, I'm, we're hiring right now for a senior position. I just looked at some uh, some resumes today. I look at things like how often has this person moved around? You know, if they've been jumping from place to place every year, eh, I'm not so sure we want to invest the time in them. You know, we're looking for people who are engaged and want to stay for the long haul. So you, you do that screening process. And then, uh, you know, back to what the, what the unit does, it's uh, essentially it's a uh, week-long interview. You, you go in. You take a, a flight evaluation, so you actually fly the aircraft and you're evaluated by an instructor pilot so that, you know, what was seen on paper in terms of your capabilities is actually true in, 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 in the cockpit. 
you have to go hit a target, you fly night vision goggles, you're put into some stressful situations, that sort of thing. Then uh, you take a swim test, you take a physical fitness test, you take a psychological eval, you get a, a, a medical evaluation. And then the final thing, once all that is done, you go shoot at the range, you do, you know, basically just checking all these aspects of your capability. And then on the last day, you go in front of a board and you, you go in there and they try to put you in a stressful situation through questioning and, you know, try to figure out who is this person really uh, and and get something out of you about your personality. And, you know, I always remember in my board, one of the things that I said that is true about me is that I will find a way to get it done. I, I'm I'm a problem solver and I, I am not going to give up. I'm going to figure out how to solve the problem. And I think that helped, you know, argue the fact that, hey, because I didn't have a ton of experience and I know they were taking a little bit of risk with me, but, I, you know, I've always felt that, you know, being who I am and having that, uh, that be, you know, part of, you know, my identity really helped in their decision to bring me on board. But then once you're through that and they say, okay, we're going to go ahead and train you, even though you're already a pilot and you can already, already do these things, you go into green platoon, which lasts a year. So that's why I say, you know, you can't, you can't compare what's done in the special ops world to industry unless you're talking, you know, a CEO. Obviously, you know, CEO, you're going to want to spend a lot of time grooming and making sure that that person is the right fit. But the average employee in the company, you can't spend that kind of time. So it's critical to do that screening part correct and then to make your interview effective. You know, I've, I've sat through interviews where people are asking just ridiculous questions and are meaningless. You really want to know, does this person really possess the skills that they say they have on paper? That's the most important. And then are they going to be a fit for this organization? Those are the two things that, you know, what, however you need to, to form those questions, but those are the things you've got to determine. And you don't have a year, you know, you have, you have an hour or you have whatever, you know, if you do multiple interviews, which if you have the luxury of being able to do that, uh, you know, again, that's, that's time well spent because hiring is critical and getting it right is, I, I argue, 80% of, of what it takes to be successful. Are there some traits that you specifically look for? I mean, you know, you, you worked with some high caliber for 20 years in the Army, you worked with some pretty highly caffeinated, high caliber operators. Are there some traits that you look for that you saw from them that you look for in yeah, the people you're hiring? Yeah, you know, it depends on what level you're hiring, obviously. Um, but we are uh, very, very strong on culture and values here. So we want to see alignment with our values. And, and obviously, you know, our number one value is honesty and integrity. If we have any reason to believe that what this person is saying or what they have put in their, in their application is not correct, that is a deal breaker. I mean, we had one situation where an individual put on there that they had a degree from a certain university, and we checked that, and they had attended there, but they didn't have a degree. And unfortunately, you know, we liked the person. We thought they, they probably could do the job, but that's a breach of integrity, and we didn't hire them. And, yeah. you know, you have to have those standards, and that's the other thing about those units is – the standards are there for a reason. If you don't meet the standard or you break the standard, in most cases, you're probably not going to be there much longer. Yeah, I, I, I read something a couple of years ago from a Marine Corps Harrier, uh, the, the CEO of a Harrier squadron, and he, and he put it really succinctly. He said, you know, if you lower the standards, you're not really lowering the standards. What, are you, what you're doing is setting a new, you know, lower standard. 
And, you know, a lot of people don't understand that. It's like, yeah, okay, I got three years of my, you know, I went to college for three years. You know, I'll put a degree on, on my resume, but, you know, almost isn't quite there. And right. then it becomes, Especially when it's you know, something, yeah, yeah. It, it just becomes mm-hmm. an integrity issue. Um, right. and, and most people will say the same thing. Hey, look, you know, if, you know, what else are you going to, you know, what else are you fibbing about? Um, or, or what else are they going to do once they work for us? You know, right. and they're, you know, misrepresenting the truth to customers or each other or whatever. I mean, you just can't have that. Yep. No, I got you. So, you know, obviously, um, you know, you hit the national stage back in uh, the early 90s in Somalia. Um, you know, that, you know, you think about you know, a situation that 99.99999% of the population would never go, go through. But I'm sure that changed you as a leader. You know, some way, you know, probably a little bit more resolute. How do you think that that experience you know, helped you as a CEO of your, of your own company? Or has it had any effect at all? No, you're right. It, 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 I don't know if I'd say it was a game changer, but it certainly took somebody, you know, I mean, I was a flight lead in, in a special ops unit. I had done really well. So I, I'm not a slacker at this point in my life, but I think it, first of all, opened my eyes to what might be possible. You know, I, I tell people if, if Somalia never happened, Pinnacle doesn't exist because I just, you know, I was happy with what I was doing. It was a great job, and I would have continued doing that probably forever. But it forced me to turn, and then getting the experiences that I got really opened my eyes to, well, there's some other pretty cool things in this world, and uh, and and gave me the confidence to try. You know, I, I, we all get asked questions about things that, you know, are, are from all perspectives and, and, you know, oftentimes get asked, you know, what advice do I have for young people? And the, the thing that always comes to mind is don't be afraid to fail. And I think that that's probably what it, it did for me more than anything is that it took away that fear of failure that, you know, you can't win if you don't bet is another way to say it. You know, you got to go out there and push it to the limit if you really want to realize your full potential. If you're, if you either lack confidence or you don't, uh, you know, push the edge of the envelope, you're, you're never going to get to where you could get otherwise. So I think that's probably what it did more than anything. The, uh, it's interesting. Your experience taught you to take some, uh, some risks in life. Do you think that, uh, the people you're hiring, the people you're seeing out there, um, you know, are they willing to share that experience? Do you think? Yeah, you know, I think so. I don't know that it's so much the risk that people are uh, interested in as as it is this the uh, the culture. You know, I mean, I think everybody wants to be part of a successful organization, and I'd, I'd have to put us in that category. I think we're we're actually at this point on the hairy edge of uh, you know trying to keep our hands on the reins. It's uh, you know things are just really happening fast. So it's a very dynamic environment, challenging environment. Uh, no two days are ever the same. And uh, again, you know, coming from a special operations community, that's that's the you know the status quo. So that's that's what you're accustomed to. And I, and I like it. I thrive in it. And I think we're looking for people that feel the same way. Yeah, no, it's funny. The uh, the CEO of Bed Bath and Beyond used to have this saying. Um, you know, we're not in a hurry to make mistakes. And I always thought that was kind of the craziest business philosophies. Um, I think I'm more of the opinion people should be in a hurry to make mistakes, at least, you know, test the boundaries 
make decisions because, you know, kind of not doing that is a uh, sort of a mistake you know, or a, you know, an error in itself, mistake in itself. I agree 100%. Uh, you know, we just had an opportunity that popped up in the last week that had we not been responsive and if we not, if we'd have been overly cautious, it would have passed us by. And, and ink's not on the deal yet, but it's looking pretty solid. And, and it's only looking solid because we responded right away. We, even though we weren't really clear on how this was going to work, we were willing to go down the road and it's potentially going to be the, the most uh, profitable thing we've done in 11 years. Yeah. You know, it's, it's interesting, your business. Um, so when I was at Gulfstream aircraft, I was, you know, part of the, uh, the, the big C-37 RFP, the air force, now the army, the Navy, they all fly them. And, and, you know, I was shocked. It, there's a lot of risk that goes into government proposals. You know, they can bury in a lot of money. It costs a lot of money to put them together. The due diligence and the bidding process is very expensive. Um, you know, doing government with the, you know, doing business with the government is certainly not for the uh, the light of heart or the faint of heart, I should say. No, absolutely not. I mean, there's some positives, you know, the government pretty much always pays its bills and that's a, that's a, a strong uh, argument in favor of it, but you're right. It's very, very competitive. It's very complex, and uh, it's easy to uh, overlook something and put forth an offer that bankrupts you. I mean, it's you know the government is not responsible for making sure that you can execute at the price you bid. That's your job, and uh, they'll do some price reasonableness on occasion, but that's they don't have to do it. And I've seen cases where people bid work. They didn't really understand what they were getting into They and they lost money. And if you're small and you lose money on a sizable job, that's enough to do you in. Yeah. No, they, they, the government doesn't care. They just want, you know, they want what, what you promised them. And um, if you're losing money, it's, you know, your problem. They're not going to, you know, I don't think they really like to go back and reopen the bidding process unless it's causing a huge detriment to them. Right. Right. It is. It's the risk is on you. That's, what, there's no doubt about it. What's the exciting stuff happening at Pinnacle right now? What are some of the uh, the more exciting programs? I know you're rebuilding. You know, you're you're doing a lot of stuff in the Blackhawk Arena. We are. You know, I, I mean, obviously, my my name gets associated with uh, with Army Aviation and Blackhawks in particular, so it's a natural fit for us, and we have a lot of expertise on that on that aircraft. So we're doing everything in support of it. You know, maintaining, flying technical publications, training devices, everything, all of the above. But the big change for us is we just won the largest contract we've ever won. We uh, we are now taking over the training center for all unmanned, air, well, I shouldn't say all, but the, the Shadow and Gray Eagle unmanned aircraft for the Army. It's, it's essentially the Fort Rucker, which is the training base for helicopters. It's the Fort Rucker of unmanned systems for the Army. So it's a big contract, and we're going to do all the training and we're taking over the maintenance of the aircraft as well and uh it's a seven-year contract so it's a big 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 win for us and uh, it's going to pretty much double the size of the company and put us to you know a workforce of over 700 counting our subcontractors uh within the next two months that's a uh that's a big win it's a huge win it's one of the larger uh small business set-aside contracts that i'm aware of actually and uh it was a it was a hard one to win, but we obviously put the right proposal on the table, and uh, we got essentially it was a perfect proposal, and uh, the price was where it needed to be, and we're executing. That's no congratulations on uh, congratulations on that. So I did some, uh, yeah, obviously your background, um, you know, you've you've 
been interviewed quite a lot of times. You've done quite a few podcasts. You got a great book out there. You know, one of the things I like, uh, you said that I really, that, that stuck with me. Uh, if it hurts to, uh, if whatever you're doing hurts, keep on moving until it doesn't hurt anymore. Is that, uh, is that, is that the way you run your company a little bit? Yeah, I th I think so. I think some people feel like it's painful, maybe because we really are running at at uh, at hundred hundred ten percent capacity here, and we try not to. We're trying to resource ourselves to be optimized, but uh, it seems like every day that goes by, there's some new opportunity that comes our way that's just too good to pass up. So uh, we jump in, and everybody rolls up their sleeves and attacks it. So it's a uh, we're we're still running. Uh, you know, I don't know that you ever get to a point where you stop running. Actually, you know, the larger you get, the more you have to win to keep it all uh, occupied. So it's a it's sort of this self fulfilling, never ending prophecy. But it uh, I, I enjoy it, and you know, I wouldn't be doing it if I didn't enjoy it. And I'm really proud of what we've accomplished, and uh, you know, I look forward to more more great things in the future. Do you got do you do you look back on your one sixtieth experience and you, obviously there's the plan and everybody you know every, everybody jumps into the plan and everybody buys off on the plan and then you know the minute you start to execute you know things you know there, there's some needs to adjustments do you do you really focus your 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 cadre on everybody understanding the plan or do you do you take it more as you come? Uh, that's a very good uh, analogy, and is exactly what happens. I mean, we we do strategic planning, we do more short-term planning, and as you alluded to, as soon as you make contact with the enemy, which in this case is is the program or the customer, not that we view them as the enemy, but the challenge, I suppose. Uh, things have to flex, and people have to adjust. And the way we address that is by communicating. Uh, as often and as openly as we can and uh, being willing to go outside of what would traditionally be viewed as our lane to make things a success. You know, I mentioned earlier, it's, you know, simple, stupid things like making coffee, but you know, if there's a proposal that needs a review or there's a pricing activity that needs to be taken care of or whatever, if, if there's, if there's somebody who's, you know, overstressed and needs, needs some relief, uh, any one of us is is willing to jump in and and take that load off of uh, off of the, off of that that person in, in order to get the job done and keep the train moving and, and keep it on the tracks and and I'm proud of that I think that's you know the reason we are successful is we got people you know really really all in and completely engaged in the success of the company. Do you uh, do you try to get everybody to be a leader? Do you take that? Yeah. You know, do you take that military experience and say, "Hey, look, you know, the commanding officer is a commanding officer until something happens where the XO needs to step up, and if the XO, you know, gets injured or hurt, you know, the first sergeant steps up." Do you do you do you, do you teach that throughout your company? We we do focus on leadership. We have a formal leadership training program. Again, it's it's a disadvantage that industry has when compared to the military. You know, we can't send people off for leadership training. So we have to figure out how to do it uh, on the side, if you will. So we uh, not only do we train people who are in leadership positions, but we train people who have been identified uh, or aspire to be leaders. And uh, all they have to do is talk to their supervisor and say, hey, 
you know, I'd like to, you know, manage people at some point in the future. Can I attend these things? And they're allowed to do that. We bring in not a lot of external speakers, but some. Uh, normally what we do, and we do this once a month, is we just handle it internally. I mean, we have a lot of experience here, so why not take advantage of it? So we'll have somebody who's in a leadership position that presents something on effective communication or, you know, how to uh, share good news and bad news with employees, you know, how to do uh, performance reviews that are actually effective instead of just a paper drill, those kind of things. And then, uh, you know, among the senior team, we came up with this thing that we, we call the Leadership Minute. At, at Every two weeks we do a staff meeting. Basically, we have other meetings, but this one is a a standing every uh, two-week staff meeting. And at the end of it, we rotate the responsibility around for somebody to just talk for two minutes about whatever they want to talk about has to do with leadership. They can go pull it off the Internet. They can pull it from their own experience, a book, whatever they want, and then they just share that. And, again, what we found is we got a lot of experience here, and and some of it we would have never uncovered if we didn't do these little things. And it's, I think it's helping. It's helping people that maybe don't have a lot of experience in it and uh, helping to make them at least understand what it takes to be a better leader. It's one thing to, to understand and aspire to do it. It's another thing to actually do it. And that's that's the challenge. I mean, you can train people all day, but if they don't embrace the concepts or they don't try to implement some of these things, then it's not going to be effective. And the hard part is that second part. Yeah, it's always amazing to me. You know, I always think about my background in corporate America and companies are more than willing to spend a hundred, two hundred, three hundred thousand dollars a year on a, you know, a rah-rah sales meeting. They, you know, they get all their sales, customer service people to one very nice hotel and they bring in a couple of speakers or, or whatever. And it's like a one-time rah-rah event, but they, you know, you know, the, the minute it's over, it's like a sugar high it's over. And then everybody goes back to doing their, you know, their old thing. And you know, I always wondered why companies really didn't teach more leadership internally, you know, and make it more a part of their, their routine. Well, that is what we're doing. And I, and I think it's working. I think it's having an effect. We get good feedback on it, especially from the younger people, because they, you know, they wouldn't typically go to an event like that anyway. So, right. you know, they, they would be completely overlooked in a more formal structured uh, annual kind of thing. So by doing it slightly less formally and, and taking it out of hide, we're really not because it's just an opportunity for some of our senior folks to to uh, connect with some of these younger people, and 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 that's worth its weight in gold. So, who's in charge of well. who's in charge of that program in your company? Is that a is that an HR function? Is that a operations? Yeah, I mean, we is it HR is responsible for scheduling. Yes, uh, and we actually call it talent management. That's something we changed a couple of years ago. Whether that you know has an impact on things or not is certainly debatable. But you know, we we do think it's it's talent that we're we're trying to uh, to manage. So that's what we that's what we call it. But um, the uh, yeah they scheduled the uh, the sessions and and do the communications and um, again I think it's working well and we're getting good feedback. So the um do you you know the one thing that everybody wants to know is ROI. Can you get a measurable ROI off that or do you think it's more of a hey we we really feel like it's working just because the you know the results that we're seeing inside the company as a whole. Yeah, it'd be hard to measure it specifically. I think it's more, you know, it's going to manifest itself in things like turnover. And, uh, you know, we also do uh, manager assessments. So every employee, when they get their evaluation, they actually evaluate their manager. And the manager doesn't see it. It goes back through talent management, and I get to see it. So, you know, those would be the metrics, really, 
that I would attribute to the effectiveness of, of, of this program, and, and our retention is really good. We don't have a, much of a turnover. And uh, the manager surveys are, are actually pretty solid also. I mean, you're never going to bat a 1,000, but we've, uh, we don't have really any problem areas that are systemic. Uh, so I think it's effective. I'm not sure how else you could measure it other than, you know, do a survey. You know, did that make you a better leader or whatever at the end of the training? But uh, I think, I, like I said, uh, subjectively, I think it's working. Gotcha. So let's shift gears. I don't want to take up all your time today. Um, but uh, the, you know, going back to your personal experience, you know, in Somalia, big event, country was watching, uh, as close to a near-death experience as anybody could have. Personally, professionally, we talked about a little bit about, you know, taking more risks. How do you, you know, how do you take that and live your life now? You've got, you know, a good family, large family. You raised five, six kids now. Right, six, yeah. Um, so a couple things. First, what I have told people is I will measure success at the end of my life if people say, hey, there's the guy who uh, raised those kids or there's the guy that started Pinnacle instead of, hey, that's the Black Hawk Down guy. Because I don't want it to be my legacy. It doesn't mean that I'm not proud of what went on there. I am. It was a amazing you know the end result and how the people of somalia were affected and you know how the overall effort is viewed is is not what i'm talking about i'm talking about what happened on the ground that day with the people that i know is it makes me very proud but it isn't what i want to be remembered for i want to be remembered for these other things and if when we get to that point i'll be i'll be uh, very happy and i think we're getting close actually there's a lot of folks that deal with pinnacle that don't even know that ever even happened to me. And, I, you know, again, I don't bring it up and it doesn't come up in conversation. Uh, but, you know, it's one of those things that I'll never leave completely behind. There's no question about it. Yeah, no, I got you. I, I, and I think about it because, like I said, I, you know, I told you before we came online, I was there 10 months before you were, a year before you were, day one, um, you know, with the Navy. And it was, uh, it was almost a surreal surreal event. But that's a, uh, that's a pretty good legacy. You have, you have solid family man, good business leader. Um, yeah, good track record. It's like, you know, T Boone Pickens, uh, I saw his final send off and, uh, it, it was a great legacy to a great life, but, uh, uh, very generous life that he led. So appreciate you, uh, appreciate you coming on. Appreciate all you did in the army for the country, for Pinnacle and all the people you, you employ. You must be really proud of that. I am. And, uh, you know, more good things to come. So we, uh, we'll just keep cranking away. I look forward to staying in touch with you. Well, that sounds good. Look forward uh, to more good, uh, seeing more good press releases coming out of your, right. uh, your organization. That's the goal. Thanks for coming on today, Mike. I really appreciate it. Okay, take care.